Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thanks for listening. Get it on iTunes. Get it on Stitcher. Thanks for uh, listening, everybody. I'm Steve Mathis, pulphockey.com. And uh, thanks for uh, tuning in and giving us some suggestions on Twitter. It always helps. Are you fumbling around with old-school hockey whiteboards that won't erase? Tired of drawing plays over plexiglass? The solution is here. The PowerPlay whiteboard from Righty Board is the first portable, restickable hockey whiteboard that sticks to virtually any surface. The code PULP saves you 15% at RightyBoards.com. It's patented foam technology. Uh, this guy on the phone here might could have used a Righty Board back when maybe when he was coaching. He is now on TSN Radio calling the games between the benches on TSN TV for the Ottawa Senators, uh, mostly. Uh, former NHL goaltender Jamie McLennan. What's up, Noodles? How are you? Not, not much. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for doing this again. Of course, we did one before and we talked mostly about goaltending now so yeah yeah that's right now listen i'm i'm up for anything you know me i love the game of hockey and and i love talking it's two of my favorite things <laughs> right, we're, uh, right. we're in good shape here exactly <laughs> also to uh, the number the code ferraro 20 saves you at two under uh the number two undr the best men's men's underwear out there ferraro's not on the show noodles but we still use his code to save money so well, that's all right. I may have to use it as well. We got to get a noodles, uh, some sort of code. We we'll get a noodles code for something. I'll, uh, I'll get you some if you want. If you want to try them out, you can try them. It's the same underwear that Ray Ferraro uses. Well, that's creepy. I don't want to ask him about his underwear, but we'll figure it out. Right. We'll get some sort of format. Yeah. Get some sort of some sort of thing for me. Maybe it'd be music uh, related. Right. I, I love the music. So. Yeah, yeah, you do. You're right. It's it's, it's a good point. Um, I don't know how much documentaries you watch on music, but I just watched one of Twisted Sister that was pretty good, pretty amazing. So really, uh, yeah. I you know what's funny? I've I've been to a hundred concerts or more in my life uh-huh. live. I'm a huge music fan, and as a kid. I watched a concert, Twisted Sister and Iron Maiden. Oh, and that was, that's good. That concert <laughs> killed it. And what's weird is, you know, everything always ties back to hockey. So right. I, end up, I end up playing in the NHL, and I play in St. Louis for four years. And our trainer, Ray Borelli, grew up on Long Island. And his babysitter growing up was Dee Snyder. No way. So, <laughs> yes, when we went to the island, Dee would come out and hang out and stuff because he's you know, still friendly with the family and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of, you know, what's weird to see him because he got into like creepy, like movies and stuff, like yeah. scary, you right. know, like, like that made Saw look like a Disney movie. Like that, <laughs> that one where it was like the guy's face was all sewn up and right. it was so weird. <laughs> but, um, he's a, he's a smart guy, actually a really mm-hmm. smart guy and entrepreneur. And yeah. obviously really talented. So yeah, big twi- twisted sister fan growing up. And, sure. uh, Iron Maiden was just here in Vegas. They just played a big show in Vegas. And, uh, really? Yeah, they're still on tour, I guess. The plane was at the airport. I drove by it. You know, the lead singer is a pilot. He flies like a 757. Like He, saw, he flies the whole crew. I read that. But, like, <laughs> yeah. the, the guy is, is a Bruce uh, Dickinson. Bruce right? Dickinson, yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's brilliant. Like, I, I've heard he's like a, you know, like borderline genius and got his pilot license and all, all these things. Like, it's amazing to see some guys, you know, 
the only guy I could think of was who was ultra talented and uh, was a guy Alex Kovalev. Oh I yeah, believe, he, right, his, yep. I, he got his pilot's license while he played in Pittsburgh, and he would fly to New York and you know just yeah. go shopping for the day and stuff. It was a sm- small plane. Uh, you know, he, he enjoyed the small planes yeah. and stuff, but. That's a guy who was multi-talented and, and had a lot of things going on while he was still playing hockey. No doubt. Uh, all right, let's get talk a little bit on your career. Uh, well, first off, I guess, uh, new new role for you, new show. Uh, you took the Leafs lunch crew, and you guys went on TSN Radio 1050 in Toronto, and now called Overdrive, three hours now uh, drive time. Uh, how do you like it? I like it. I mean, for me, it condensed my schedule a little bit because I was doing radio during the day, 12 to 2, and then I would go back – for TV at night. So I would go home for a couple of hours, hang out with my kid and then go back. Now I go to the studio all at once and I do radio, then TV. And, you know, it kind of just condenses my schedule. Uh, It's weird doing a drive show. um, There's a lot of moving parts that the timing is different. You got to, you know, our host, not me, because I don't drive the bus. Like they throw to weather. So you feel like the three hours, we almost talk, two hours worth, but it, mm-hmm. it, it's spread out a little bit because you've got longer breaks, you've got more ads, sure. you've got to throw to traffic, you've got updates and stuff. So uh, there's a lot of moving parts, but I, so far it's been good, a good transition. I, you know, everyone was worried about me because I don't really follow other sports. Right, um, as we talked you know, about, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we talked about it. I'm just, I'm, I'm a passionate hockey fan. I don't get into a lot of other things, but you know what? The, the topics have been great because, um, you know, they, they've been general, like, you know, Peyton yeah. Manning retiring. You know, you, everyone can talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, what else is there? There's there's like... Um, or Bertista stuff that's come up a lot. Like, like yeah, yeah, about wanting a contract. That's something you can relate to. You exactly. Know? Like, there's, yeah. just, there's just so many moving parts where, you know, you can you can talk about it. But I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, I think, the you know, you get a little different audience, mm-hmm. which, is, which is weird because our noon hour audience seemed to be... You know, maybe kids from 18 to 25 where they're in school and they're listening to us live or, you know, uh, people at work on the noon hour. Uh, now in the drive uh, drive position, you're getting people that are driving home. And mm-hmm. some of them uh, are, are still just getting to learn our, our humor. I see that. A little weird yeah, yeah, you guys have, yeah, do explain a few things. <laughs> yeah, we have to explain a little. And it's funny because we got talking about uh, – uh, strippers and stuff. I don't know how. I'm sure O Dog brought it up, but right. you know, we got talking about stuff like that, and you know, you either get really positive feedback, like God, you guys are all over the map, or mm-hmm. wow, you know, like I, I can't believe you guys actually talk about that on the radio. So it was. Uh, we're, we're, we've got a newer audience. I think it's a, a wider audience, but uh, uh, they're still warming up to some of the things that we talk about. So it's, it's been a, a real good transition so far. Yeah, I had to laugh because you guys were bringing up uh, Spearmint Rhino about um, uh, I forget what it was. Um, uh, well, yeah, it is. I mean, it's one of the go- well. We were talking well, about well, if somebody was going to do like a that's it a uh, review a, a reality show a reality show yeah, yeah. A reality show well, on strippers or like who would host it. I said Tommy Lee yeah. probably should. Well, I had the, I, I listened to it in the afternoon and guess where I found myself last night. So <laughs> you always listen. It's not a bad place. I I've had a couple great times there. Uh, but you're right. It just uh, it, it, you get to Vegas. And especially if you're out with the boys or whatever, it just ends up that you, you go you there. Migrating. And that's probably the best one in Vegas, is it not? I, I, um, yeah, I think, I, think it, I think it is. There's also um, uh, Crazy Horse. 
It's not bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But. yeah I've only been there, like, I think twice. Spearmint Rhino was always the one that we would go to just as a group because I think it was more of a, not a touristy thing. It just was the well-known one. So. Yeah. Yep. You know, you, you you jump in a cab with three guys. You're like, take us to the Rippers. And, you know, that was always the place. So, I, 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 I had to laugh. I'm like, here I am. Well, actually, it was my wife's my wife when I went. It was her day off today. So um, I was just laughing that you guys were talking about it. Now, here I am. So um, <laughs> it was fun. Um so yeah, the uh, one of the things about the, the the new thing, like you said, you're a hardcore hockey guy. But um, yeah. I think at times... Like you, you know, you can re- if you can relate it to an athlete and uh, and everything else, you do it. Other times, you're just like, okay, I'm out, I'm out. Like it's going to yeah. get too in depth. And I noticed that you and O Dog a lot are just, hey, uh, Brian Hayes, the host there, he can carry it, and you know he carry he f- follows a little closer. So I think it's working out. Like you're not trying to be yeah. somebody you're not, where you're like breaking down no. points per game for some basketball guy, you know? No, and then that's not. I mean, that's not fair to a listener too. Yeah, you know, like I I, I try to bring things back to my experience, so. Um, you know, the baseball player with the kid in the room. I, I'm yeah. drawing a blank on his name. But uh, Adam we're LaRoche. Talking yeah. About, yeah. yeah, LaRoche. So we're talking about him, and all I'm thinking about, how would I handle it if, if one of my teammates brought his kid in the room 24 hours a day? Yeah. Like I, I feel like it would be a bit of a burden, and that's nothing against the player or, mm-hmm. or the kid. It's just, you know, sometimes I believe dressing rooms are very sacred. You've got to, you know, there is a line. And so we were, you know, that's the type of stuff that, you know, and Hayes, when it gets into, you know, breaking down LaRoche as a player, that's that's where Brian Hayes will come in and say, yeah. you know, geez, you know, his production here or that type of stuff. But everything else, um, you're right. It, it, I, I draw it to being pro athlete. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's basically where, you know, where the strength of our show will be is we're going to be talking hockey, but we're also going to be talking you know, everything else that, that comes with pro sports mm-hmm. and, 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 and topical, you know, kind of flavor of the day. So, you know, we have a lot of fun with it. And, and so far, like I say, we're a month in. It's a work in progress, but we're really enjoying it. Hey, um, when you when you you're 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 really good in the media. You're good at calling games. You've you're, you know you're great on the radio. I think you found a little home here. Something that you you know, and also like you said, you love to talk. So yeah. um, you know, it, it, it's it's one of those natural things. Even some of the guys kid with you uh, about you know talking forever or whatever. And you've got a lot yeah. of you got a lot of incredible stories. So I think the media thing fits you well. But when you first retired, you were the goaltender development coach for Calgary, and then um, you were later an assistant coach with Brent Sutter. Did yeah. you did you not want to continue in management? What happened to make you make the switch? A um, couple things, you know. At, at that time, they, uh, you know, I was I was not renewed as assistant coach. Brent Sutter was the um, let go, or no, he stayed for one more year and then was let go. But mm-hmm. my contract was up. I was not renewed for one more year. So what they did was they offered me a player development role, and I was just done with the organization. I I, I felt like I. I needed it. I had hit a wall there, mm-hmm. um, and you know, going from assistant coach back to you know player development, uh, and I just I just felt like it was it was a, a transition I didn't want to do. Okay, um, and I got an opportunity to uh, TSN called that same day, uh, oh, wow. the, the, <laughs> and and said, "Would you be interested in doing a few panels?" And I said, "Yeah, I'll try it out," mm-hmm. and you know, it worked out. I I. I it was a big chance for me because uh, I, I felt like, you know, it, to do this properly, I would have to move to Toronto so that I could get the reps in. Because right. no matter how, 
it's like anything. You, you want to be a guitar player, you can't just pick it up and, yeah. and start playing playing the notes and playing the chords. You've got to, you know, there's repetition. And so I, I had asked CSN, I said, listen, if you think that I have a future in this, um, I'm going to need work. Like, I'm going to need lots need of reps. Need some reps, so, right. Yeah, they put me on uh, That Hockey Summers. They put me in radio to start off with. Um, and then I got on That's Hockey, the, the main show, and then That's Hockey Tonight. And then I started, you know, it just – there was more and more responsibility. I started breaking goaltenders down because they, they found a niche there for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many different things that, you know, I, I call it the car wash at TSN. Like the minute that you get on the compound, there's so many different platforms you can be on. They had a show called Off the Record that was one of the longest running shows. Yep. You know, I would be on that. And then there was, you know, like it, it just seemed to, you know, uh, to, to kind of, you know, compound and you just get, more and more, mm-hmm. like just add up. Yep. So I was living in Toronto, and, and what would happen is you know, somebody gets sick, oh, this person can't be on the panel. Uh, you know, Jamie's here, why don't we ask him? And, sure. you know, so you're, 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 you're not out of sight, out of mind. You're right there. So I, I moved there. I reconnected. Uh, I had, uh, was dating. I dated my, well, I'm married now, but my, my wife, uh, we dated years ago, and then we reconnected. So, you know, everything was kind of, falling into place into Toronto for mm-hmm. me. So I, yep. I moved out to Toronto, and, and this is my fifth year at TSN, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I, I, get, I talked to management. I talked to players and coaches. I had a, a great chat with uh, Marty Jelena the other day, the mm-hmm. assistant coach of the Calgary Flames, and he was asking, you know, do you miss it? And, and I said, I do, but I go to bed at night living with my opinion. And, and yeah. you know, as, as, a, as a coach, you go to bed at, at night like – running over plays in your mind yeah. and you can have the greatest day as a coach. And the minute the game starts, if the guys throw up an egg, like it's on you somehow, <laughs> right, like, right. you know, and you feel helpless. Yeah. It's like a fa- father sending their kid out and, and the kid screws up and you're like, you know, you, there's nothing you can do, but just try yeah. and you know, teach them the lessons and stuff. So I, you know, the, the stress, I don't miss living it as a, as a coach, like, Coaches literally live it 18 hours a day. You're at the rink from like 7 a.m. to yeah. 1 a.m. Uh, the hours and the stress is something I don't miss. Being part of a team scenario, um, you know, being a coach, you feel like you are uh, a part of that team and, and a part of a family. I, I do miss part of that, but uh, there's some things I don't miss about being a coach. And you being a Western Canadian guy, I was born and raised in Winnipeg. You were born and raised in Winnipeg, or Edmonton, I mean. Um, yeah. Going to Toronto, I, I I like the Maple Leafs and I like the Blue Jays and all that, but I don't want to live there. I, don't, I wonder if you were the oh, same way. I don't know if you're the same way, but I, I, I yeah. am. And yeah. you know, I was in Cal- I was in Calgary over the weekend, and you know, once you get back out west, you kind of. I mean, I'm a Western boy at heart, and and everyone yeah. knows that. Like, I don't I don't hide that on the show. I don't I don't have a bias towards anything. The one thing that I've always prided myself on being is. I wasn't a fan of a team growing up. I was a fan of players. Okay. So uh, I loved Mike Lee with the goaltender. I loved Grant Fear, and I was fortunate enough to play with him for a couple of years in mm-hmm. St. Louis. I, w- I grew up watching him with the Edmonton Oilers. Um, you know, you, you, you pulled for, like, I, I, I grew up with, with the Edmonton Oilers when they were winning cups, but I didn't love the Oilers per se. Mm-hmm. I just loved some of the guys on the team, but I also respected guys throughout the league. You know, um, uh, you know players from, like Jerry Cheevers was a goaltender yeah, yeah. I love from the Boston Bruins. Like, you know, <laughs> right. it was just, it, 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 for me, and I've been lucky with that because it spilled over into my, my opinion and in the, in the media because 
you know, I'm not this, this, you know, bleed blue, you know, drink the Kool-Aid in right. Toronto that, that the Leafs are, you know, walk on water. Like, I, I have no problems saying, yeah, Nazem Kadri dove on that play. Like, that's just yeah. you know, everyone else. Like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> you know, the other, the other day on the show, I, I clearly said that Leo Komarov should have been suspended for that greasy move on Datsu. Right. Like, I, I thought it was greasy. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, and everyone got mad at me, and I got some Twitter, <laughs> Twitter traffic. Right. And I said, okay, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we have that same play, but that's just an advocator doing that on William Nylander. Right. And I say, we'd be talking four hours about it and how <laughs> advocator is the dirtiest player yeah. in the league, blah, 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 and, and poor William Nylander. Like, you know, yeah. that's the one thing I noticed about moving to Toronto is there's – I mean, I love the, the passion of the fans, and but I just – I never grew up with that, so mm-hmm. I'm able to remove myself from that. So I, I think that's kind of what I, I think it helps the dynamic of the show because you can't just have three super fans on the show, right? You know, just yeah, just, just, just loving the Leafs. You have you know? two, you have two as it is. So yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. and and they come by it honestly. That's, right. that's not their fault. Like oh and oh and uh, Hayes, like Hayes grew up a fan, and oh grew up a, an NHL player, play for his his childhood favorite team. I mean, yeah. you know. Not many guys get to do that, so I, I respect that a ton. I just, you know, there's times where I'm like, all right, you guys got to dial it back a notch because, right. you know, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's becoming so biased. So we 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 have some fun with it that way, and and we don't take ourselves too too seriously on the show. So that's kind of, you know, I'm a Western boy at heart. I always will be, um, but I, I'm a, a Western boy living in Toronto, and yeah. I've settled in enough. Yeah, no, exactly. I was just there last weekend, or yeah, last weekend we raced there in, in Sky Dome, and it's a cool city to visit. But man, the traffic and the hectic and the, the oh. massive size of it, uh, I'm not a fan of. And I, and I lived in SoCal forever, and I, same thing. I didn't like living down there, um, just because I didn't like planning your day around traffic. You know, I didn't like all that's that kind what of stuff. It is. Yeah, you've got to give yourself at least an hour to do anything, and that's frustrating. <laughs> I know. You know it's, it is frustrating. I mean, I grew up in, like I say, St. Albert, Alberta, right. where you know you can get you can get to the airport in thirty minutes. You can get anywhere <laughs> cross town to right. across anywhere in fifteen twenty yeah. minutes, and then you know you can barely go to the grocery store in twenty minutes sometimes at rush hour areas. And, yeah, but it's. I mean, there are perks to playing in a huge city or to living in a huge yeah. city as well because you could do anything at any time. Yeah, and there's great food. There's great restaurants. Like Toronto has a lot of good things, but you know, the negative parts, uh, you know, for me, yeah. being a smaller town guy, that's what I always focus on. Um, also, too, being an assistant coach, like, you know, Ron yeah. Wilson traveled with his assistant coaches. Carlisle traveled with his assistant coaches. You're getting fired uh, whenever your guy does, but you don't really necessarily have the control. Like, you're uprooting your family. You're moving to a new city. And you're not – you're just an assistant coach. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's, you're belittling it. But you know what I mean? Your fate is yeah. tied to, to some other guy. Your, your, your total fate. You're, you're right. The head coach is the figurehead of the group. But, you know, ultimately if he takes the ball, yeah. the new person that comes in can either inherit you or bring his own. I mean, I, I look at John Torchetti. Yeah. Um, I did a Minnesota game this week or last week, and I'm doing one next week. Um he kept the same staff, which, you know, Daryl Sador, Andrew Burnett, those yeah. were Mike Yo's guys. Yeah. They're still on the staff, but that's a bit weird, like for me. Because, for sure. You know, but he's the interim coach. Now, if he ends up getting the full-time coach 
staple next year, I would think that he would change his staff a little bit for guys that you trust. And yeah. that's, yeah. you know, that's the biggest thing sometimes is you, as a head coach, you have to have your, the guys that you trust that are in the trenches with you. Um, I've seen turnover on, on assistant coaches to head coaches because the head coach, uh, trust isn't the right word, but you might feel that the assistant coach is maybe trying to Get his, overtake yeah. you, or yeah, yeah. you know, or yeah. or is maybe a mole. He maybe he's the guy who's tight with the GM. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've heard of it. I've heard of uh, you know dysfunctional situations really, that get huh? sorted out. Yeah. Where yeah, and and it, what's what's weird is I'll never say the organizations, but but like these are successful organizations that you know you you find out behind the scenes how. Mm-hmm. How dysfunctional they can be in, in certain levels, right? And it's you know you, you you notice sometimes a successful organization all of a sudden like an assistant coach uh, parts ways and and maybe he goes on to you know they say bigger and better things, but ultimately it's because you know the head coach wanted to part with him, and you right. know it's 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 really interesting. Uh, you know, I mean, once you get behind the curtain of some of the things sure. that goes on, it's. Uh, uh, some people would be horrified to see how how it actually is done. <laughs> so in your in your case, Brent Brent came to you and said, "Hey, I want you on the bench." Or did uh, no? I it was see. I I think Brent coming got will. I got willed to Brent because of Daryl Sutter. Okay, yeah, see, yeah. Darryl, right. When I retired, uh, when I retired, um, I went and worked for Daryl Sutter. So my first year was in goaltender development. I was scouting. Mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of like. Um, management things like i was in on a bunch of meetings and right. you know daryl daryl would have me doing character research on potential free agents and stuff like that so i was kind of a jack of all trades because mm-hmm. um i was so tied to the league right you know daryl would say hey i want you to fly to toronto there's a team thing there we're looking at this guy you know put in a report on the player but dig around to see mm-hmm. what is it you know does, oh, does you were, he a drunk dude you were does like uh, yeah you were like sherlock oh like a little uh yeah, FBI ish. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was, you know, I was like a private eye, and, and what I, but you know, you start digging around, you make a few phone calls, and that's the thing when you're tied into the league, you, you make a few phone calls here and there to, because the league is so small, right. you, you always know somebody. You know, I can make a phone call anywhere. It's at six degrees of separation. Sure. Say, hey, you play, you play with this guy. Right. What's his deal? Why is he available? And right. oh, he's available because. You know, he's he's got some off ice issues, or you know, he's available because he's. Right. I mean, I've had people say, "What? Like, uh, his stats look great, but he's the dumbest player you've ever seen. <laughs> and he, and he's a programmable robot, but you have to you have to program him every day. Tell him what to do because he eventually he's going to hurt you and help you. Like that's the one thing. You know, when you see these trades. When people say that you know a, a team won a trade, or, yeah. you know it, it's interesting because I, I talked to a GM last week. I was I had uh, you know in the media room. I sat and had a dinner, with him. Mm-hmm. and he, he said you never want to never want to be known as a GM that always knocks it out of the park on deals because nobody's ever going to want to deal with you. Right, right. So he said you know you and he, I said well what's the key to making a good deal? He said honesty. Like, he goes, you know what, if, if I've got a player, I've got to move. Um, I tell him, I, I'm moving him because of this. Right. He doesn't fit in. He's my number six defenseman where I've got a young kid that's going to take his spot in six months. 
I'm going to have to pay this guy. Um, you know, yeah. I, I don't like the way he defends. Uh, but, you know, maybe he can help you. Maybe he's an upgrade of what you have. Because he said what, what happens is you start trying to fleece general managers, <laughs> you don't get your, you don't get your, uh, your calls returned. And, yeah. you know, it, it's just it's interesting. That's the business side of it. But it, 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 it's, um, there's a lot of negativity and there's a lot of weird things that happen behind the scenes. But I, uh, you know, the, that's the type of stuff that I did my first year out right. before, before I got Will to Brent where Daryl said, yeah. listen, I want to make you a, an assistant coach. You're going to be the goalie coach, but on paper I'm going to make you an assistant coach. Um, Daryl kind of took care of me that way right. uh, because, you know, because I had done a lot of things behind the scenes. Um, I, I think you know you can pay a little bit more as an assistant coach compared to a goaltender coach. Oh, okay. So it was, yep. was kind of written that, that yep. way, but it was you know I, I I knew my role, which was basically dealing with the goaltenders. But I I did some stuff in the role of assistant coach because I wanted to be part of the team with with Brent and his staff, which included Dave Lowry, Ryan McGill, and Rob Cookson. And we had a we had a tight group. There was a good group of good mm-hmm. people there. We just didn't have a lot of success as a group. I'm laughing because I can say, like, they're asking you to go investigate whether this guy, you know, maybe parties a lot. And meanwhile, you're out with the guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, no, it's funny because they're, you know, like. You're like, no, we, he's we, good. He's good. He's all right. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, he's great. He was in before me at 5.15. I made it home at 5.30. Right, like, right. No, it, it's, you know, there was one scenario where we did, I had to do some research on a potential unrestricted free agent. Mm-hmm. And, um wanted to see his temperature on, on um, you know, coming to the, the organization. Mm-hmm. Now, he ended up not signing there, right. but I, I ended up, like, I flew in. You know, we went for dinner, had some drinks, uh, had a great night. And, yep. and, and basically <laughs> what you do is you, you, you lay out information because it's not collusion in a sense because I, I had a relationship with this person. Yeah. So – you know, I we we flew in. I flew in. We had some drinks. We we hung out. We talked hockey. We talked life and that. Right. And then you know, at some point, I laid it out there and said, "Hey, you know, um, we're looking you know, at if you. you do, yeah. If, yeah. If if you are interested, this is what our organization's about. And and it was like, it was an informational session for him. Not saying, hey, you know, if you do this, we're going to do this. Yeah, yeah. No, no money talk. Nothing right. like that. What it was is, you know, for me to gauge an interest, and, and, and if he had any questions about the organization, if, if he was going to make a decision, hey, call me to, to mm-hmm. open those lines of communication. And it ended up that I think it came down to, like, we were, like, you know, between us and two other teams, mm-hmm. and he signed with the other team. And, right. and he called me and said, hey, this is why. And I said, yeah, no worries, buddy. Yeah, like, yeah. I just I wanted you to know what – what this organization's all about, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm happy that you, you chose the other organization. So it, it worked out, but right. you know that that type of stuff, um, I think it's in, invaluable from an organization because there's so many things. And I know in the days of in today's world, analytics uh, are a big part of player evaluation, especially mm-hmm. at the man- management level. But these are the types of things that I. I, I hate you know because the analytics guys hate the word they, intangible. Yeah, yeah, but. But these, this is the type of stuff where you do your character research is saying, yeah, the guy may look good on paper, but, you know, why is the team letting him go? Why are they letting him go to unrestricted free agency? Is it just money flat out? Is it, you know, is, yeah. is he not a fit? 
Um, does he have a pro- underlying problems that we don't know? Is his wife a pain in the ass? Like right, stuff right. like that. And, and I'm sure. not like I, I I'm just being honest. That's yeah, the yeah. type of stuff that you need to have brought to the forefront. Yeah, you're like we don't care what his PDO is. Everybody in the room hates the dude. Yeah, and, you know? and and you know what? It's it's funny when it comes down to you know making a decision when you have a slot fill, let's say a third line right winger, mm-hmm. and you've got a certain amount of money to spend, and it comes down to two players, and both agents are on board saying, you know, we, you know we're we're going to find that price point for you guys. Um, you know, we're looking at term and price point seems to match on both players. Well, what's going to separate? It's it's something you know. How's the guy going to work into the dynamic of your dressing room? Is there something that's separate? You know, is he is he a fitness freak or is he a, a slob? Mm-hmm. You know, a, yeah, a yeah. guy who's out of shape and you you have to con. You know, that's where that character research you're calling around coaches saying, you know, you had this guy. How's he on the bench? You know, how's his preparation? Um, you know, is he a booze bag? Is he mm-hmm. you know like that type of stuff? I I think it goes a long way and and and. You know, it, it's just a piece. It's a small piece of the pie, but it's a piece of the pie uh, of, of a full player that needs to be looked at by an organization. So we've seen some media guys in other sports, and I know you don't follow them, but we've seen uh, more than a few media people be hired by teams uh, to work it back in the in the into the uh, in the front office. Is that something you would do, or are you set? Uh, do you like what you're doing so much? I, you know, I've been offered jobs. Um, the last three summers, oh, okay. three summers, yeah, I've yeah. been offered jobs in the business, like goaltending um, stuff, like goaltending consulting, yep, things like that. Yeah, yeah, that type of stuff. Like, uh, you know, one was an assistant coach situation, one was a, a goaltending coach, one was in player development. Oh, okay. Um, they're they're, and and, and actually, I, I should back up my words and say, um, I interviewed mm-hmm. and was um, they they kicked tires on me. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like it wasn't like. There was one situation where I was flat out offered a job, and I, I just the timing didn't work. Right. Other, the other two, I got phone calls, and it was exploratory phone calls saying, right. you know, were, you know, would you be interested? And I, I always say, well, you know, I have a long term contract with TSN, but you know, I can get out of it, like you know, if yeah. if, if if the situation's right. And then you know, that's the type of stuff. So I, I haven't closed the door on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just has to be the right scenario. It has to, it has to find. You know, I have to find a way that it, it's a fit for my family. It's a fit for my lifestyle, um, and and you know my passion. Yeah. And right now, I'm in, I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. But I, I mean, that could change, and and who knows? Maybe it's a situation. Expansion team in Las Vegas says, "Hey, we, <laughs> we, know, <laughs> we, we, we need you to, to come in and and help in player development or help in." Uh, yeah, you know, player personnel or something, and you know, we're offer you a long term deal, and and uh, you get to live in Vegas. So maybe you never know. You never know. But I, right. uh, I'm enjoying what I'm doing now. Thanks everybody for listening to the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Having a good time doing it, and uh, thanks to our guys for coming on board over at Righty Board. Righty Board's Power Play Whiteboard is hockey's first restickable portable hockey whiteboard that goes wherever you go. Whether it's needed at one end of the rink or one end of the country, the power play board sticks to any surface your team needs it. Vivid graphics and a white background on the front. Removable, long-lasting, air-free adhesive on the back. Visualization is now your ultimate weapon. It's the most versatile, practical, and simple-to-use whiteboard in the world. Every rink, every team, every coach needs to get a few of these power play whiteboards and check them out. 
Use the code PULP at writeyboards.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y, boards.com, to get 15% off your power play board. All right, back to the show. Yeah, I got a friend. I know this is going to sound like uh, one of those uh, funny situations, but I got a friend of a friend who's, who knows the owner, or potential owner of Vegas and everything. I guess Murray Craven's involved. Um, yeah. When, when it happens, I, Murray Craven will be, will be a, a big, big guy, a big wheel in, in the team. Well, that's great, though. I mean, I, Murray Craven, um, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends. I believe he Call Murray. a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it's just it's funny. We, we have a, a lot of, you know, mutual acquaintances and stuff that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, uh, um, it, it, I think he lived in Montana or he still lives in Whitefish or Kalispell okay. area. Yep. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a small enough world, and it would be nice. You know, you, you, you see that type of stuff, but – you know, the, the the way I look at it is even if there was an expansion team, I, I, I actually had this conversation coincidentally last night with Craig Button off air. Mm-hmm. We were talking about Las Vegas's organization, if they ever got up and running. And the first thing I would ever do if I was an owner is you hire good people, not just the, the most qualified people. That's right. where it comes into that's where it comes into the situation where um you, you, the character research, because right. there's a lot of there's some jackasses out there that can really be toxic, <laughs> and if it's and if it's right. toxic toxic from the top, yeah, you're never going to have a good organization. That's the you know you take a look at the most successful organizations, the one that are run, you know everyone wants the blueprint of them, the the Detroit Red Wings, Mr. Illich. Yeah. What does he do? He he, he hired uh, Ken Holland and gives him free reign. Mm-hmm. And Ken Holland surrounded himself with some bright, really bright people. Right. And and what ha- and and two of them have gone on to be GMs in the league: sure. Jim Nill and Steve Eiserman. Um, you know that's that's to me that's an organization that does things right, and and it starts with with quality people. So that would be my, my the number one prerequisite in getting involved in organizations because there's reputations throughout the league where. Sure. That organization's a disaster, and it starts with the ownership group, or it starts with yeah. you know the the president of the team, or the general manager, or or you know when and that it, you you start to look at that, and, mm-hmm. and it's scary because what happens is players know that because the agents deal with them. So you know if you're in a, if you're an organization that's kind of known as yeah, there's a, a few bad apples at the top. Yeah. You're not getting as as the the high priced free agents. They're they're kind of looking you off a little bit because they don't want to deal with that garbage. So yeah, interesting. It's the same same yeah. same in my sport too that I cover. You know, Supercross and Motocross. There's some team owners that their teams just don't get it, and they cycle through dirt bike riders. And I write about them. You know, and there's a there's a crew chief or a team manager that, that that's just a buddy and a bit of a goofball, and they never yeah. get it. They never get it. And other teams, you know, they'll hire guys and and they'll may get hurt, but they'll stick with them and they'll groom them and they're good guys and. And it's just funny. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. It's the same way where you're just like, yeah, you can see what kind of team that is, you know. So uh, yeah, and you know. but that's you know, I, I mean, Chicago is another team like that that you know they've run it the same way. And take a look at you know Scotty Bowman, Stan Bowman, right. at the top. You know they've got a great coach in Joel Quinville. Um, and look at the general managers. Kevin Cheveldayoff was groomed through them. Mark Bergevin was groomed through them. Sure. Uh, and you know, like Cheveldayoff is trying to set up a. a, a you know, a classy organization in, in, in Winnipeg. He's a patient guy. Uh, he's not a knee-jerk guy. He's not out in the media running his mouth no. off. 
Like he's a he's a real calculated general manager. Now Bergey on the same on the in the same breath uh, in in Montreal, he just has to do it in a in a fishbowl, which is a really tough to do. And you know Montreal's they've been a tire fire this year. And yeah. some of you know some of it is because of injury. Some of it is because maybe they've miscalculated on a couple moves. It happens, but you know I I think that's. You know, Mark Bergevin is a really good general manager. He's known as a really good hockey guy. Yep. And it's the same thing. Kevin Chevalier, known as a really good hockey guy. And they've been groomed the right way through an organization like the Blackhawks. It's funny because Bergevin, everything you read about Bergevin was, you know, he played the, he was the ultimate joker in the room. Oh, yeah. he, he was just a, a goofball on and off the ice. And yeah. now he's GM at Montreal and he seems like he's so buttoned up from what these stories you hear and read about him. It must be killing him to not like, take cracks and make jokes and everything else. Well, you know what? He does, but he just does it in his circle of trust. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's still the same guy, still, right? Yeah. I still get texts from him. Little uh, little joke here and oh, there. Okay, all right. Uh, so, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, so. I, he's, the thing is, is I, I, I leave him alone because it's it's um, it's tough. Like, I, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't want to bother him because I know he's under a lot of, a lot of stress, but I – you know, once in a while, I'll shoot him a text just saying, hey, you <laughs> right. know, love your suit or something, and he'll send back a smart-ass remark. And, you know, it's the same, you know, yeah, the yeah. thing is, is it's the same person. It's just in a big role, and, and you, you realize, I, I realize the magnitude of his role, mm-hmm. so I just leave him be. Right. So. Um, well, Jamie McLennan here on the Paul Pocky podcast. Um, I did want to talk more about your career, but we've got sidetracked. But let me let me talk. Let me ask you this. So, when I looked at your stats and, and your career, and obviously I yeah. followed the game, you it was remarkable. Like you played first, you broke in with Hextall, and then you go from yeah. Hextall, you go into into Grant Fear, Roman Turek, um, uh, Kippersoff, Luongo. The one thing about all these guys is they were workhorses. They rarely got hurt. And some of them, in the case of Fuhr and Hextall, um, they're like all-timers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Kippersoff. It, it's like you never – did you ever get a chance in any of these teams to kind of run with it? I mean, maybe the Wild, you got 38 games in, but – Yeah, um, no, I did. I, I, You know, I'm not a disgruntled, like, form backup. There were a couple times where I got a chance to run with the ball. Mm-hmm. Maybe the organization was going to give me the opportunity. And quite honestly, I failed. Like, I, I wasn't a starting goaltender. And I was given – there was a time in New York before Hexy came where I was basically the heir apparent. Okay. They were going to make, make me the starter. And what happened was the lockout happened. Um, I think it was 94. They, they moved uh, – uh, they moved – it was a Soderstrom for Hextall. Yep. And – I believe I don't know how it came about. Did Hexy get moved? But I I know that basically I was I was uh, they were going to make some room for me to run with it, and I didn't I couldn't I didn't handle it mentally and physically very mm-hmm. well. Yep. And uh, and to be honest, our team wasn't that great. But I would never ever lay it at the feet of the team. Right. I I I didn't step up when I needed to step up at the times. And there was another time when Grant Fear was getting a little older, a little longer in the tooth, mm-hmm. and they gave me a run of games when Fearsy got hurt. And I believe I, I played like 10 straight, and I went like 5-5, five and five, um, where you know, I, was, I could handle the workload, but I didn't give them the quality of goaltending that needed to be at that next level. Mm-hmm. And I look, I look back on it. There's a couple pockets where I 
you know, I, I dropped the ball, and and it was that's on me. I don't blame that on anybody else. Sure. I don't make excuses. That I will. I will say this: the one ten game stretch I had in St. Louis, I had a broken hand, okay. and I played with it, yeah, yeah. Uh, a broken broken blocker hand. But Fierzy got hurt, and I came in and I fought through it and played the ten games. And I think, like I say, I think I was like five and five or mm-hmm. five four and one or something like that. I did a good enough job, but. Not a good enough job to instill confidence like, hey, this is the, a number one guy. This is guy. our guy, right? What Which it is, basically yeah. showed was that I was a really good backup and could give you those short, short-term short burst starts. Like, mm-hmm. I, could give you ten, I could give you 10 starts in a row, but ask to do 20, well, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And that's something I've heard you talk on, on your shows uh, 150 times, Noodles, yeah. is like, like a number one goalie, like you got to play 65. Well, you know, you've got to be yeah. there, and it's tough. And you know, I guess, from experience, you can go it's 10. Be my, yeah. You're right. You yeah. can go 10, but, like, can you go 20 yeah, yeah. if need be? Like, right. let's, let's, let's do this. Thomas Grice has to play the next whatever. Yeah, month. right. So it was, it was a six-week injury to Halak. Mm-hmm. Now, Thomas Grice is a really good kind of 2-1-A. Um, when, when you got a you know, starter like Halak, I think start, Halak's a 50-game starter. Right. I don't see him as a 65-game. I think he's a 50-game starter who can give you some good, some good minutes in 50, 50 games. So you need a real capable backup to play with Halak because he gets worn down, he gets banged up, and that's exactly what happens. Now, the proof in the pudding of Grice's game is how's he going to play when he doesn't have, for lack of better words, a safety blanket on the bench mm-hmm. where – you know, if he if he falters in one game, okay, you can go back to the starter, give him a couple games off, and then he can reset his game and come back in. No, he's got to play two nights later, and he's got to play three games in four nights in three different cities, and like that is the challenge. And and to me, there's eight to ten guys maybe in the league that are money in the bank that give you sixty plus games a mm-hmm. year, and they do it year in and year out. And that's what bothers me. I see people complain about. Oh, this guy's save percentage is, you know, is only average or whatever. Right. Well, hand the workload. Like right, right. Martin Jones for me, Martin Jones turned a corner for me this year because he proved that he can start over 50 games and he's not done yet. He's going to end up at 60 plus. Right. So, so Martin Jones showed that he can handle a workload. And, and within that workload, he's going to grow and get better and better as he, as he learns to manage his workload and, and his, the timing of everything. And, but, you know, I, I, I heard, I won't say the person's name, but this mm-hmm. jackass in Toronto who, who's a writer say, well, you know, James Reimer is going to get a lot of time because Martin Jones' save percentage is just as good. Or James or Reimer Reimer's is better, save, yeah. yeah. Save percentage than Martin Jones. And I'm like, Martin Jones has played 20-plus games more than <laughs> James Reimer. Right. So in the same amount of time. Yeah. So, so when Reimer got one start every two weeks, Jones was starting four of those games. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's my point. Like, the workload will shrink that. Like, it'll all in the dust settles. What right. you should be doing is, is comparing Martin Jones against guys who play 50 games plus. Right. And, and seeing how you're doing. But that's, you know, I, that's just a little small pet peeve of mine. But it's, that's where, you know, I talk about money in the bank of being a starter. And there's, it's no slight on James Reimer. It's no slight on anybody. There's guys who can handle the workload and sure. be, be an every, everyday guy, and there's guys that simply can't because it's just they don't have the mental makeup, the physical, the physical makeup, yeah, yeah. Or, the, or, or the combination of both. 
mm-hmm. and 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 it takes time to learn how to do that too. Cam Talbot's going through that this year, uh, you know. And yeah, he's and, been he's been and, up and down. He's been up and down. He, I think. Yeah. He had a he had a great start. He yep. had a really poor kind of middle, uh-huh. and he fought fought back through. And you know, he is the guy that that Edmonton is going to rely on, which is I, I like him. I think he's a good goaltender, mm-hmm. but. The learning curve for him this year—it's amazing. Everyone was like, wants to hand out a learning curve to Connor McDavid and to all these other guys. Why can't you give a learning curve to a goaltender who's just learning how to be a starter as well? Sure. And and yeah. I think that's where Edmonton screwed up. Uh, was there a, between Luongo and Fuhr and Hextall and yeah. uh, and Kiprasov? Is there something that all those guys and maybe Turek? I mean Turek. He was kind of. Yeah. I, I read some things about Turek being a weirdo, but I, so I don't know. But um, no, no, he's he, Roman is the most laid back. Yeah, yeah. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, if you want to ask a story on Roman later, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, was there a common and so Turek when uh, he fits in this category as far as being a workhorse, yeah. and and he played well. Was there a common uh, thing or trait that these dudes had? I mean, they're all uh, they they played different styles, everything else. But with Luongo, was there something these guys had in common? Well, first of all, it was the raw skill. Like, you, you look at – now, the, their skill sets were different, but they all had elite mm-hmm. skill sets. So, you know, you start there. Second was mental toughness. They could if, – if they were starting, let's just do round number, 60 games, yeah. they, could, they could give you 45 to 50 quality, quality starts, which meaning, like, they could, they could call on their talent and be difference makers – most nights mm-hmm. where other guys, you know, I, I used to really have to mentally prepare and be locked in and everything right, started right. to line up and, and then to do it next night, the next night it's a struggle. These guys had the ability to call on their talent uh, every night and, and it was rare for them to have off nights. And even on off nights, they still had the ability to fight through. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, so there's, there's skill. Then there's the mental toughness to, um, you know, to handle anything that, and, and to call on their talent night in and night out. And then number three was the work, work like the, uh, the work ethic. Yeah. The work, and, and I'm not saying these guys uh, being in the gym and being ripped, but they were sports-specific work ethic. For example, Mika Kiprasov used to stretch three hours a day. Do you know how hard it is to sit and stretch for three hours a day? I can't mentally? even imagine. Right, right. It's insane. Right. It's insane. Like... You know, we all, you know, you, you do a little five-minute stretch before you go to the gym or whatever. Right, right. But this guy would sit in the splits for hours. Jeez. Just, and like, yeah. like to, to think of how he prepared his body to play, that, that was insane. Roberto Luongo, to this day, is one of the hardest-working athletes I've ever played with. Roberto doesn't like taking days off. I spoke with him last night after the game in uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wants to skate again today instead of, you know, at 36, yeah. maybe resting his body. Right. But, like, he feels that a day off is cheating. Like, he feels like I'm going to get out of a groove. So he likes to skate every day. Peyton Holtby has that work ethic. That's what Mitch Corner's goalie coach, tells me. Like, so there's – Ron Hextall had that work. Ron Hextall, I tell people this all the time, taught me how to work. I thought I knew how to work coming out of junior because, you know, you in the mm-hmm. in the summer you you throw on some running shoes and you go for a thirty minute run. You think sure. you're in shape. Right. Ron, Ron Hextall taught me how to work, but that's the you know Roman Turek 
mentally knew how to lock it in. Like, you know, he knew what he, he knew what he needed that day to be ready that night. So if it was to work hard that morning, he would work hard. If it was to not take any shots and just stretch at center ice, that's what he needed. Mm -hmm. These guys had the ability and they knew their bodies better than anybody else. And that's, that's what separated them from, from all the other guys that I played with, all the average goal yeah. I've played with. Interesting. I did one of these with Grant Fear. I reached out to him, and uh, he agreed to come on. I was so pumped because I'm a Fear fan. I feel like he was just so amazing. And I could, it was, it was, it was uh, tor- torture to drag anything out of him, Jamie. He, yeah, blood from a stone. He, oh. he, but, but, but you know what? Fearsy was God-given talent. And Fierzy had a drive, though. See, that's the thing that that people think that you know Fierzy didn't have that passion. Yeah, because he go- he golfed in the morning and stuff. People think, yeah, yeah he was kind of. But that was his mechanism to relax. He had Grant had this fire. I mean, there were so many things. Like it was a thrill for me to play with him and then become a friend of his, which yeah. is really weird because you, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you befriend your idol. Right. And like, but Grant would like, he had this fire where he had the ability to, on the outside, just look like, like, like he was out for a Sunday stroll. Mm-hmm. But on the inside, it burned. And, and he, he wanted to win. And, like, I, I think I've told the story before where we're in the playoffs against the Phoenix Coyotes, mm-hmm. and he stands. He never spoke, ever. Just quiet, guys. <laughs> right. And stood up, stood up before the game and said, guys, just get me one, and we'll win tonight. And we won one nothing that night. And it was, it was one of the greatest moments I've ever, as a player, been a part of. And I, wasn't, I didn't contribute other than just watch the game that night. Right, right. But – to see an athlete of his magnitude know exactly what he needed to do that night. And he, he you know, it was, we had all the other leaders in the room, Bergeron, uh, Turgeon, McKinnis, Pronger, right. Hull, and Fierzy just stood up and said, guys, get me one and we'll be good. And that was it. Like, that was, right. and we're all like, no, yeah, yeah, I could see it. And he put a show on that night. And, it, it, like, it was I remember thinking, like, that's, that's what Hall of Famers do. And, you know, so you're right, getting blood out of a stone, because he's not a guy who likes to talk about himself. And, 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 and he's you're not telling a guy, me. Yeah, you're telling me. No, Jeez. But, but if, you, if you asked him, like, how did you do that? Nah, nah, just stop the puck. You know, like, and, but that, it came to him naturally, but it wasn't because he just didn't care about the game. Right. What it came, what it came to him is that, he needed that fire, and and that's that was his fire. He he like um, he prepared a different way, but he executed, and and he was one of the greatest of all time. Well, and I asked him about that story. I said, "This is in Noodle's book. This is what you did." He goes, "I don't know. I don't really remember." Like I'm just like, <laughs> dude, you called it. You called a game seven shutout. Like, like you know, talk about that. And he's just, ah, "I don't know. I don't remember." Just like you're, but that's, ki- you're killing me, no, Grant. I know it's not. It, the funny thing is, it's not the greatest for podcasts. <laughs> no, <interviews>, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, that's Grant. Yeah. Like, Grant was just like, yeah, I'll give you that. Like I. He just he had that ability to just you know like to to just be a difference maker, but it was he kept it to himself, and I I, I loved it. I I I've got a lot of time for Grant on so many different levels. He's such an amazing person, and 
you know. So I, I, uh, I, I think he's great. I've, I've got, uh, and, and we keep in touch a little bit, like just right. a little text here or there. It's not like we're best friends or anything, right. but we've well, got a lot of mutual friends. Wouldn't you think he'd be a terrible goalie coach? Like he worked with Phoenix, you know. And wouldn't you think he'd be a terrible goalie coach? Because one, he wouldn't want to talk, and B, he'd be like, I don't know. I just it works for me. I, I but, can stop but, this puck. You're right. You're right because, and that's, I mean, Wayne Gretzky. There's rumors of him not being the greatest coach uh, in Phoenix either. But it wasn't because he wasn't passionate or didn't yeah yeah didn't yeah prepare. It's he's looking at a play and going, yeah. Why didn't you see that little scene pass through <laughs> right. there? Right. And he's talking to our buddy like Tyson Nash, and Tyson Nash is like, because I don't have Wayne Gretzky's vision, you know, <laughs> right. like a, you know, like that's yeah. the thing. Like these guys see things. That that's what made them special. So for him to be like, yeah, I need you to set up behind the net, and make a little saucer pass here, and do this and that. And you're like, I can't do that. Nobody can. Only you could. That's why you have three thousand points in the league. Yeah. You know, like it. Like that's the type of stuff that probably didn't translate that well for everyone. But you know, at the end of the day, it was. Uh, uh, you're right, Fierzy. Yeah. I, I think just, it I would just, be an, an amazing mentor, but not right. a great goalie coach. Right. One of the things about uh, about fear, though, maybe maybe the reason why he was the way he, you know, with you and, and everything else was because Mike Keenan was gone. Thank God, because uh, <laughs> he he talked a little bit about that, and uh, you know, not a fan. And Coach uh, Quenville was with you guys uh, in St. Louis, so maybe Grant was just so happy that Keenan wasn't around. Well, you know, it's weird. You're you're right, but Keenan, if you look at it, I felt like. Keenan was hard on Grant, but he also resurrected his career. Because if you look True. at what, yep. hap- what, what happened, Grant, I believe, was done in Buffalo. Keenan signed him to like a one-year, $1 million deal, kind of off, almost taking him off the scrap heap. Because yep. He was kind of done. You're right, yeah. And, yeah. And, and Grant came into training camp about, let's just say, 20 pounds <laughs> overweight. Let's just we'll say. Just leave it at that. Right. We'll just, we'll just uh, allegedly. Right. And what, did, and what did Keenan do? He sent him home. Mm-hmm. And, and then brought him back a week later and played him 79 games that year. Right, right. He still is. I think he set the record, right? Is that the record yeah. for most? Yep. And and Keenan started him every night, and then he he would pull him sometimes like five minutes into the game and throw in like Bruce Racine. Right. But everyone else, like it was funny. Mike had a a method. I always say a method to his madness. And I actually my first year out when Daryl Sutter hired me as the player development, and that Mike Keenan was the coach. And I ended up by the end of the year, he added me to his staff. And and Mike always would have like these little anecdotes. He'd be like, you know what? I'm not loving what Fanuf's doing tonight. I'm going to go give him a blast. Watch this. No. Like, in, out of nowhere. Like, he's just like, right. walk in and like, Dion, and then, you know, give yeah. him a Dion, and then, and then walk out, and he would like, wink at me, like, you like that? That was funny, eh? Like, like he, <laughs> he, like, he was, he, uh. he was very, very um, calculated with his moves. Like, the one thing that Mike did is he managed his stars really well. Mm-hmm. Because as hard as he would be on them, uh, he'd be hard on Jerome McGinley, but then he'd play him 26 minutes. Like right. he he held these guys to a standard where he would say, like, you know what, we're not going to win tonight if Kippersoft's not our best player. So he would say to him, like Kipper, you you haven't played well enough. Right. And, but then who's starting? Like Kippersoft, go out there and show me that that 
You know, go up mm-hmm. there and ram it, ram it up me. You know, that's yeah. that's basically he would challenge these guys. Mike was a master manipulator, like or motivator. Manipulator is the wrong word. Motivator, motivator. right? Well, and, yeah. and, Go ahead. And he did it. Yeah, well, no, I, did, I, I did one of these with Eddie Olchuk, who in that run, he was benched. You know, Eddie, they didn't like him. Eddie didn't play. Eddie was a pretty big scorer in the Toronto days. And, yep. you know, through his whole career, uh, Olchuk tells a story that Keenan was like, what's the most goals you ever scored in the league? This is during the playoffs, like around that New Jersey series with Messier, you know, yep. calling the shot. And uh, Olchuk goes, I got 42 one year. And, and Keenan was like, hmm, Really? Wow, and, and Olchuk was so pissed. Like he's like, you know, I, you know, you know what? How many I've scored? You know what my pl- what, what I'm like? And he put yeah. him in the lineup, and Eddie probably played really well. He was so pissed at Keenan. <laughs> but but that's you know, Mike right. was like that. Right. He had the ability to. He had the ability to just, you know, yeah. like press buttons, and and I, I loved it. I've I've got a lot of time for Mike. I've always enjoyed his take on hockey. He's a great guy to have beers with. I've had, you know, yeah. several beers with him and tell stories, and yeah, he's been great. That's crazy. That he, yeah, he doesn't. He's been great is something I have not heard from many people. You know what I mean? Like, but you, yeah. you've been behind the scenes with him and everything. So, oh yeah, yeah. No, he's he, he had the ability to press buttons, but he was always good. So. Um, hey, another guy I want to talk about a little bit about is um, another guy that you sat behind at times and probably went, you know, shit. When am I going to get a chance? Um, is was Hextall. Um Now I would be scared to death to play with Hextall. And you told a story. Uh, Zygmunt Palfi shot at him in training camp, and, and Hexy <laughs> chased him around the ice. I think you might have said that in your book, or I might have read it in, uh, or might have heard it on the radio. But um, was he was he nuts? Like he's, you know, the, like that's a funny thing is. Hexy was intense, and and nuts is the wrong word because he this was second none. He would get worked up, and you couldn't you couldn't mess with him because he was dialed in. But you know, guys feared because he wasn't shy, and he shot the puck as hard as players. Yeah. So yeah, you you shoot the puck at his head. He'll shoot one right back at your head, and you don't have a mask on. <laughs> like he, it, it was. Uh, right. I learned so much. He was the. Greatest. I. Here's here's one that I thought was brilliant. He had a pregame routine in warm up. He used to like to skate over the center dot. Okay. So we're playing Philadelphia, and they know that, right? Right. So Dave, right. Dave Brown goes and stands on the center dot, and. <laughs> Hexy wants to skate over it, and Brown won't let him go over. And they are buddies. Like they're right, buddies. sure. Right. And Hexy chops him. This is in pregame warm-up, <laughs> like in warm-up. He chops him, and then what happened is he fires a puck at him, and they start swearing at each other. And I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Is Hexy going to get kicked out of the game? Like, what, right, you know, right. do I have to go in? And Hexy was so fired up. And both teams got, like, involved, and guys were yelling at Hexy trying to get underneath his skin. And I remember thinking, this is going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> Hexy got into the room, and the guys were like, you, you all right? And he's like, don't worry about me. Let's go out and effing win. And, and like, that was, that's what he was like. Like, um, his preparation was second to none. But, like, off the ice, yeah. family guy, kids. Yeah. Really, really funny sense of humor. Like, like great sense of humor. Like, it just... It was almost like he got to a rink, and that was it. Like he, he would like. Yeah. It, it was like his job to 
you know, get, go basically like, go, like you said, nuts, but just right. be intense. Like, like he, he would get scored on in practice, he would fire the puck over the glass. Like, it, it was, <laughs> there was always something that, like, you're just like, all right, like, Hex is not happy about this. But, right. Like, but it was, it, I just thought it was hilarious because, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't like that he was this, like, uncontrollable person. He just knew when to, like, turn it on and oh. when to turn it off. He had a, and he worked so hard. And I think there was a stretch. Now, I was in the minors at the time, but mm-hmm. I got called up. There was a stretch where I think he started, like, 28 or 29 games in a row for the Islanders. And he was having back spasms. And our goaltender coach, Bob Fro said, like, you're, you're going to come up and you're probably going to play because Hexy yeah. can't walk. He can't bend over. Right, and yeah. that, th- that morning... I, I thought I was starting. Hexy barged into like the coach's room and was like, "You guys aren't taking me out. I'm playing tonight." And like he could barely walk. Wow. But he found he, he played that night. Like it was it was amazing. Like I, I I rave about a lot of people. I don't think people realize how much he changed the game of hockey for goaltenders. Right. And and period. Like how you forecheck. Like he. I used to, you know, you keep stats on the bench. Yeah. I used to, I used to track how many times he touched the puck. He used to ch- touch the puck twenty times a period, either a behind period. the net or a period. A period. Oh, jeez. Like, and like he'd stop. You try and dump it in, he stopped everything behind the net. Yeah. Like it was insane. Like it was, honest to God, like he was the best at it. I just, I, I, I can't rave enough about Ron Hextall because I think people. He was misunderstood, but man, there, did he play! Like he was, he was unreal. There was, there's a highlight, you know, the Chelios thing and Kent Nielsen and Rob Brown. I mean, oh, it's yeah. just hilarious. Uh, and this warm-up sort of story, you're just like, what's wrong with this guy? But yeah, like like you said, he wasn't that way. He wasn't, you know, he was a, and he's a GM no, now, of no, course. Was, yeah, yeah. So you know, he's a bit of a thinker. What he was is it was, it was just awesome. Like I, I just, you know, when I when I think of Hexy. I just think of a guy who, who, who loved hockey. Mm-hmm. Who, who that's the only he, he knew how to play one way, and that was hard. And that I, I, I respected that so much. Like I, I think he's a guy that um, misunderstood. I don't know. Yeah. Like I think he was more just a guy that that literally, you know, found a way to uh, found a niche. This is how he wanted to prepare. I thought it was just. Unreal. He was talking about unreal. The, you know the shooting of the puck and the handling of the puck. Like what? Looking back on it, or, or when you played with him, like what was he doing that was so amazing? Did you try it? Did, like what was his trick? He he didn't swap hands or nothing like that. He just did it old school. And why was he so good well, at it? He, if you look at his glove, he used to relace his glove. Okay. To the point where he it was so loose he could handle like. He, his glove hand, he could hold, he could hold the stick like a player. So, you know, if you take a player stick yeah. and and use a pair of gloves, you you, you get a good grip on it. You mm-hmm. can shoot it. That's how Hex was. Oh, okay. Like he, yep. And he would he would be out there before the game, taping his sticks and curving his sticks with like the blowtorch and that, like right. players do. Yeah, yeah. Taping them down. <laughs> I used to just grab my stick and throw some tape on it, and put a knob on it, and that was it. He was like at another level. Like he and, and he, that was part of his routine was handling his sticks. It was just it, it was 
insane how good he was at handling the puck. Yeah. And now what happens is, guys, you know, you had to change your forecheck around him. Our penalty kill, like, the D never went back to the puck. They always would fan out or go to the boards because heck, he could sure. bring it around the boards. Yeah. He could take a slap shot. Like, he used to take slap shots with his, with his stick. Like, it was Nuts. It was brilliant. I just, I, I, there were so many different levels of, of Hexy that I loved. And he just found a way to that how, he could do that. How is he? Great. How is he with you as a GM and the media guy? Does he does he tip you off? Does he is he pretty guarded? How is no, he? No, he's he's guarded. Yeah, he's, yeah, uh, yeah. He's not a he's not a guy that uh, you know is out there like he he doesn't run his mouth off. He's you know what he's a class guy. Mm-hmm. I, every time I see him, like I'm like, hey, what's up? Like I never ask for tips from him or anything like that. It, it's more if I. I I respect what he uh, he has a job to do, and he right. knows I have a job to do, and you know it's it's kind of like that mutual like you know, and he makes you know he make fun of me or say like you know, uh, do you wear a lot of makeup on TV or whatever? He's, he's, <laughs> right. he's pretty funny that way. Yeah. Like he's, he's but he's just a, a quality person. Like he's the type of guy that you know when you talk about how organizations are built, right. you bring in right people, like guys who get it and. And, and conduct themselves that way. Hex is a guy that I think of. That's that's you know, he does things the right way for me. Well, he was one of those guys that I thought like with Holmgren and Clark, and I think I'm missing somebody. The uh, Snyder, Ed Snyder, just seemed to bring in all the old players, whether they were qualified or not. And there's been some bad yeah. moves and bad decisions. So when they hired Hextall, who of course was at LA forever, I was like, oh, maybe another just another ex-player crony, but. Uh, he's done a nice job, and he is. He does seem very thoughtful and, and um, you know, doing the right moves. So, you know, yes, he's an old flyer player, but it seems like it's working out. Well, it is. I mean, it, it's going to take time, too, right? Like, that's, you know, that's the, the challenge is, is I think Philadelphia is in, in really good shape moving forward because they've right. got a defensive core. They've got some D that are, are going to be really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, Goss is fair. But they've got some kids uh, that Proveroff. Proveroff, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Like they're they're going to be good. It's just going to take time. That's all. And and like anything, you have to be patient. He's going to grow it the right way. He learned in L.A. from uh, Lombardi, who who wants to build and and you know I think Hexy's a real um, uh, analytical mind. Mm-hmm. Like he's a guy that that really likes to think things out and stuff, which is completely. Contrast the style of play, <laughs> right, right. But that's you know that's you yeah. know that's what he was. And yeah, I think it's I think it's amazing. I like I say I've got a lot of time for for Ron. Um, and we'll wrap this thing up with uh, I did one of these with Daryl Ray, who of course covers the Stars. Uh, I did one of these with uh, Rick Saint Croix, the goalie coach, uh, interesting guy. Yep. And they all told me stories of Brett Hull, and. So we'll wrap this up. <laughs> Obviously, he wasn't fighting with Coach Q like he did with Hitchcock and with uh, Keenan. But uh, what what a guy! What like the uh, the story you said about the the push ups and he just put his arms up. I did this eighty six times and and you oh, know yeah. like just a, a remarkable guy, huh? Holly, you know I've got a lot of time for Brett because Brett is a, you know you talk about intelligent like he he was a really intelligent player. Um, I think what rubbed people the wrong way is sometimes he didn't have a filter. So he would just say what he thought, yeah. you know, which is kind of funny because, like, you know, somebody would be like, you know, 
oh, we got to do this and that. He'd be like, you're an idiot. No, we don't. We have to do this. And like, like, and, but, you know, as, as, as people think he, as grading he could be, mm-hmm. the one thing that was impressive about Holly for me is that he was hard on himself, too. He would say, like, guys, I'm useless tonight. Don't pass me the puck. Like, our, <laughs> you know, God, I've been bad. Like, I need to be better. Like, you know, he wasn't somebody that just pointed fingers and, and thought he was better than everyone. I think he knew he was better than everyone as players. Yep. But I think he also understood um, what made people, you know, tick. And it was just funny. Like, uh, um, he would look at a guy, like, we, we had a guy, a defenseman named Chris McAlpin, and his nickname was Mule. So he would take Mule sticks before the game and just look at them and then just drop them and go, no wonder, and walk away. <laughs> like, basically, like, no wonder the guy can't make a pass or no wonder. Like, it was just funny because he wasn't, he wasn't mean. He was just like, he had a great sense of humor. Um, he, you know, I, the guys loved him in the dress room and, and he contributed like he was a superstar. Like he's one of, you know, it was, I was fortunate enough to play with some great players and some like high end guys. Mm-hmm. Like this guy was a superstar and he's all a famer. Like it's, yeah. it's amazing to see what, you know, what, what he, uh, did in his career. And I, I got to be along for the ride and watch some of it. That was, that was the, really cool. For me. The, the, sh- the, the, they different play, they play different styles. But Iginla, who's a good buddy of yours, and you played with him, and Hull, like the way they scored, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of the same way. They drift off, and then they get a one-timer, and it's just, it's a rocket. Um, do you see well, that? I do. Um, Holly had, I think Holly had a, a, a quicker release, but Drome had a harder shot. Oh, okay. Um, a harder shot, really, huh? And Hull, yeah, Jerome Jerome really can shoot the puck. Like now now Holly's is fast and, and so Adam Oates would lay it out there for Holly and Holly'd yeah. get into that quiet area and Holly could get it away from anywhere. In his feet, out reaching out, like where Jerome, you know, you put it in a sweet spot, he can hammer it. And like that's that's the thing that I like about Jerome is, you know, he wants the puck in certain areas mm-hmm. and when he gets it, he knows he can pick his spot. And and Holly was a guy who was you know, ultra talented. You you could you could give him the puck in in different areas, and he'd still find a way to get the puck. And that's you know it was funny because he would say like you know in true Holly, like Pierre Turgeon would like look mm-hmm. him off and and yeah. shoot somewhere you know pass somewhere else. Right. Holly'd be like, uh, Turge, get me the puck. <laughs> and Turge would say like, well, you were covered. And he would go. If there's five guys on my back, I'll still get the shot away. <laughs> get get me the puck. <laughs> And, and he was dead serious, right. but he also was bang on. He was right. Yeah. You, you could get him the puck, and he would find a way to get it off. And that was – I always respected that about Brett because, like I say, he had the ability to, to know what his limitations were and, and know what his strengths were, and that's – he never faltered on that. Like, it was amazing to see what he was able to do. It was, it's amazing that the, the story about um... – uh, dumping in the corner on three on twos with Ken Hitchcock, and then because Hitchcock said goals don't matter, like that's true. That's exactly what he was doing. Like, oh, yeah. What are you doing, Brett? Oh, you said goals don't matter, so I'm just dumping in the corner. It's <laughs> just yeah, he, uh, honestly, this... there's a story. I don't know if this is. I mean, I think it's true because I've heard it through <laughs> several people. But yeah. like, he had a hat trick one time against a, a, a team that was struggling, and he was friends with the goalie, 
okay. on the other end that he had already scored three goals and he had an opportunity to score four. He had a breakaway and he dumped it in the corner and changed. No way, really? He didn't want to like, <laughs> yeah. Now I, right. I can almost 95% verify that that yeah, story is yeah. true. Oh, crazy. But just knowing Holly, yeah. like it was, uh, and, and then he went back to the bench and took his skates off and told the coach he's done. Like, I'm not, it was the third period. He's like, I'm not going out for another shift. <laughs> Because he didn't want to, like, yeah. it was one of those nights where he was scoring everything that touched. Nuts. And, and he didn't want to embarrass, embarrass the goalie any further. Well, look, you would know you face so. these dudes in practice hundreds of times. So to say a Ginless shot was harder, I'm surprised. I mean, Iggy's got a rocket, but I just thought Hull shot was just, uh, you know. But, yeah, you would know, well, man. Hull, uh, but well, what it is is the velocity would probably be the same. Mm-hmm. So they'd probably both fire, like, a 90-mile-an-hour shot. Drones was heavier, and... But Hollies was a quicker release. Yeah. So that that was the thing. Like Hollies could get it off. Like he didn't need the big wind up. He needed a little half sla- half slapper that it would come off of his stick like just a, a lightning rod. Like it was it was quicker. So like when I talk about Al McKinnis, Al McKinnis had a bomb. Yeah. But it was also heavy. Right. Where Joe Sakic, Joe Sakic. His shot was so quick, and his release was so quick. Right. So, if you if you line Sackick up and, and and Al McKinnis, they could probably fire the same. You know, Sackick could fire an eighty-five mile an hour snapshot and soak it out. Mm-hmm. But Sackick's release was quicker, so you would have to actually track it off of his stick a little bit quicker than Al if Al was like winding up. Yeah. So that's what I mean about release. Like they both had the same velocity, but. Um, uh, you know, one right. released it a lot quicker, and 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 one was heavier. Like when it hits you, you felt it, and that's that's Jerome. Like Jerome, Jerome can bring it. Like you could you could feel Jerome shooting the puck. Uh, Hatcher, McKinnis, or Iafredi? Who had the who 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 scared you more? Um, Al never scared me, but he would have if I <laughs> ever played with him. Like yeah. Al, Al was one of the greatest teammates I've ever had because he never shot hard on me in practice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when I had to face him, like he was an intimidating like I thought Al I think Al was Al had that wind up where it it felt like the stick was touching the roof and he'd bring it around and like you you know you couldn't you couldn't catch up to it. I afraid he was very intimidating as well. Uh Hatcher not so much oh, okay. he, he could he could shoot for sure. Mm-hmm. Like he had a ball right um we're talking Kevin Hatcher, right? Yeah. Right-handed yep. shot, not yep. Darian. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah. So, yeah, Kevin had a bomb, and he was great at one-timing the puck, but he wasn't a guy that I, you know, going into a game, there were other guys on his team that I was oh, okay. more fearful right. of because I thought yep. that they were going to get more. I thought they were going to get more um, opportunity. Like, when Hatcher was in Washington, I was afraid of Bondra. Okay. Because yeah. Bondra could skate. Yeah. You know, Bondra was going to get eight shots on me that night because he, right. he skated he was so fast so that was a guy you know there was always a guy that you circled and was mm-hmm. like gotta you know i gotta be on my game because this guy will eat me up tonight and that's you know i but i afraid he was terrifying because he he walked the line laterally very well so he had a one-timer and it was always had motion because he was moving moving yeah, yeah. so he would get off on his on his offside and he would hammer it and you would have to set your angle on on motion, not just a stationary slap shot. So there was a lot of moving parts with Iafredi, and and you know I just 
Plus, he was a biker and kind of an intimidating <laughs> guy, you know, smoke, like, uh, smoking that, cigs. That kind of came, <laughs> yeah, smoking yeah, the cigs. whole that kind of came with the whole aura of I, I Freddie as him like being like this, you know, his nickname I think was Crazy Horse, and he was like <laughs> right. this, you know, biker and smoked in between periods and was gritty, you know, yeah, like. Yeah. He, he was an intimidating figure. Also, too, Wendell had a pretty good shot, pretty good wrist shot. You were teammates with him for a little bit. You tell a good story in your in your book too. So, uh, yeah, Wendell was amazing. Wendell had a really deceptive release. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was hard, and it was the thing about Wendell is his shot was always accurate. Like it was posting in all yeah, the yeah. time. Like it, you 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 rarely did you be like, I missed this one. It's missing the net. Like he. He he had the ability. All the great ones do. They hit the net all the time. Yeah. They don't. They don't. Um, you know, Ray Bork. Ray Bork always had like ten, twelve shots on net because he could hit the net from anywhere. Yeah. And that's you know that was one of his attributes. And and Wendell had that release. Like it was almost like he was grabbing it and throwing it at the net all in one motion. <laughs> right. Right. But it was uh, interesting. It was heavy. It was a it was a heavy quick shot. Yep. Um, well, hey, Jamie, thank you for doing this. You're calling a game, TSN. Uh, you're calling a game tonight well, between Ottawa and Buffalo and TSN 1050 uh, Overdrive, uh, drive time show now, new for you guys. And uh, thanks for taking the time for us, uh, for me today. I appreciate it. It's always fun. And, uh, man, I could go on and on. You're, 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 I can see why you're in the media because your stories are great. They're interesting. Uh, <laughs> you're definitely a, a one of a kind. Thanks for taking the time, Noodles. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. All right. See you, man. Bye.